the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Yes, sir. And I'm in the house with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Very rainy out there. Very wet. Um... I suppose we need it. I have nothing to complain about, but it's a bit chilly. The roads are slippery, so you want to be very careful as you're headed home uh, not to um, be unmindful of the wet roads, oily roads. You know how that can be. So be careful as you make your way to your allotted place of rest. Again, I want to welcome you to the Monday edition of Lifeline, your host, Jesse Gistan. Glad to be with you for this two-hour program on this day where we talk about the issues that matter to us, hopefully as well, to our God. And we seek to hone our critical thinking skills, hone our discernment, hone our vocabulary and hone our um, dialectical process, the ability to discuss issues in a civil, rational way by which we can advance the most important thing about talk, and that is the truth. The number is one 329 If you want to call, uh, begin to discourse with me on <clears throat> any anything between last Monday and this Monday. Uh, If anything came up new or if anything uh, that we need to carry over from last week is worthy of uh, extra reflection, another angle, uh, um, a broader or deeper analysis of of essentially what we talked about last week, a couple of things, excuse me, Um, we and and I'll talk about it a bit more today because, um, well, truth is that we will be holding a conference in a couple of weeks, no more like a month from now, a month and a few days, March 8th and 9th. When I say we, I'm speaking of Valley Bible Church in Hercules, where our friend and radio pastor for a long time, now uh, Dr. Phil Howard happens to be the senior pastor, founding pastor there. He's going to be holding a men's conference. And I really do want you to think about it, fellas. If you are in that area, or even if you live as far up the road as I do in Castro Valley, which for me is about an hour's drive maybe on a good day. Early in the morning on Saturday, it won't be that bad. But Friday afternoon, you might want to make your way there fairly early on during the day, particularly if you have to take 80. If you can go 680 and other routes to get there, Highway 4 or something like that, you'll be okay. On Friday, March 8th, Friday, March 8th, um, approximately, uh, check-in time will be 5.30 p.m. on Friday, and it will be all day Saturday, March 9th. Uh, we're going to have two days, okay? So on Friday is going to be like the 
probably the initial gathering and warm welcome and, and visiting with different brothers from different churches and elders and young people. We certainly want our young men, uh, 14, uh, all the way up through 17 as well to be with us. If that's at all possible, we want the young men together with the elders so they can witness, observe, and even participate in working out some real challenges that we as men have. I want to talk about that a little bit as we contemplate it. Uh, just have our brothers with us. Uh, one of the things I have done since the beginning of my ministry, now some 25 years plus, <clears throat> is to hold a Saturday night's men's meeting, a Saturday evening or a Saturday night men's meeting, of which both of my boys, David and Nathaniel, Nathaniel being the oldest and David being his uh, his younger brother by a few years, uh, have been part of the, the study period, the gathering of the men, the sitting and talking and having coffee and working through issues and expounding scripture and talking about the things of God and working on the arduous nature of being a man of God in this world and calls to marriage and fatherhood and husbandry and all of the extremely God-like uh, vocations to which we've been called. My boys have been able to be a part of that. And even when I think about it now on any given Saturday night, if they are not working or given to some other curriculum because they happen to be somewhat of entrepreneurs themselves as well as uh, lovers and, and uh, musicians. And so they'll have a gig or something on any given Saturday, but largely because I did bring them up under my wings early on, they are very used to being around older men, and now they can basically handle their own in terms of almost all of your disciplines of Scripture, so that it is a great idea, fellas, to have your boys with you. Um, yeah, even 12, 13, 14, particularly the ones where you have already picked up on them loving to be in your shadow, them loving to uh, <clears throat> follow your hoop dime if you know what I mean. That's a GBC term. They're following your pattern uh, and you want them to simply experience a larger form like that. This is going to be a great opportunity. It's called walking to win. It's a, uh, it's a ministry of the, uh, of the uh, pastor Phil Howard's uh, church in Hercules called Valley Bible church. You guys hear them on Saturday, Saturday mornings. I think I know for sure Sunday mornings on this program, right around eight 30. Um, he has a great ministry of proclamation of the word of God, exalting our savior and really calling us to a down to earth walk with God. It's going to be a great time. So some of you guys that are part of our listener base and our media base will get the invite out shortly. I'm hoping maybe I can have the pastor on maybe the week before on our program here and talk a little bit about what we're trying to achieve. So Friday night, I'll be basically bringing the main message, unpacking Nehemiah chapter four, as we talked about last week, the importance, the integrity, the virtue, uh, the uh, significance of building a wall uh, that constitutes the ne necessary division between those who are on one side and those who are on the other, as God had ordained it, particularly in the life of um of uh, the people of God coming out of exile, 445 B.C. under uh, under under Nehemiah, uh, where the temple was being built. Uh, the Zerubbabel, uh, Joshua, the high priest and others among the minor prophets, exhorting them to return and rebuild the temple, according to the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 9, 24 through 27. And, uh, and there are a lot of lessons for us to learn as well. 
speaking of building walls, what we're going to be doing is talking about how important it is for us to have walls around our mind and walls around our heart. The number one purpose for a wall anywhere in the Bible, anywhere in the word of God is protection. The number one purpose for a wall anywhere in the word of God, anywhere in the Bible with regards to God's linear biblical theological objective, we call it teleology, what God is up to in the establishing of his kingdom in the protection of those people who have been called into vocation and service for God is a walled city. Once he establishes his people in a particular community, he walls them about both with material walls as well as himself being their wall and protection so that they can go about the task for which they are now witnesses in that community without um, unhindered uh, molestation. And so a wall is critical. How about the wall in your mind and the wall in mine? Uh, can you imagine if, in fact, we didn't have walls around our mind? Solomon spoke about it in the book of Proverbs is one of the few mentions of the idea of a wall. He said in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, these words really worthy of meditation. He says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit, no control over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down. And without walls, the basic idea that Solomon is setting forth is that walls are critical to protect our mind, uh, protect the way we think, protect what we believe, protect um, and uh, preserve what we have come to hold as convictions that are to be uh, to be maintained for the purpose of our own identity, for the purpose of our calling, for the purpose of our conduct, for the purpose of our character and the character of those that are about that same kind of kingdom build uh, business. I think Paul would put it this way in Ephesians six, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he begins to deal with the six articles of that armory that we are to put on in the helmet of salvation is what he said, having put on the helmet of salvation. Now, why a helmet for the head? The head is one of the main, main uh, elements on the body that needs to be protected. You get hit in the head and everything changes. Once you become loony in the brain, you lose your character, you lose your equilibrium, you, you, you lose your place, and you're going to probably lose your life. Uh, and if that happens to too many of the troops, you lose the war. I can tell you that we are waging a major war today, fellas, around protecting our minds from the infiltration of all kinds of worldly philosophies and worldly concepts and and alluring, seductive, provocative uh, uh, suggestions that come from this secular system. That if we are not girded up in the loins of our mind, if we're not uh, walking with the helmet of salvation on, we can be stupefied, stunned, and lose our balance. You know what that means once you get hit with one of those haymakers? And it can happen when we are not. Uh, walking with the kind of sobriety and uh, sensitivity of, uh, of of securing how we think, what we think, uh, why we think, because that's Grand Central Station. Your mind is Grand Central Station. What you think in your heart, you are, as the proverb puts it, as a man thinks in his heart, that is in the core of his essence, in the reality of his being, so is he. So our minds have to be protected and 
as Nehemiah discovered when he made his way into uh, Jerusalem after making a long excursion from Persia under Artaxerxes, he uh, he 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 really recognized that that Israel was in ruins, the Jerusalem was in ruins, and the gates were in ruins, and the temple was in ruins. Broke his heart, and he went at the task of rebuilding and restoring and uh, recovering that which God had destined, purpose, and actually had called them to do in order for repatriation to occur in some kind of successful way. Obviously, it did ultimately work out after um, after the era of Ezra, Nehemiah, and, um, and Esther. Ultimately, it worked out after the Maccabean period and uh, the period of Herod's temple, the Herodian temple that came in after the second temple that we're talking about now. The Lord comes into Israel uh, somewhere around 6 BC, all the way up to 8033, and the temple is well established. A beautiful edifice full of magnificent ornate structures. And um, and the first thing a master did when he went into the temple was to clean it up. Uh, but a temple has to be there to be cleaned up. And so what we want to do with regards to that time, fellas, is kind of think about where our heads are, where our hearts are what our calling is and how we can become better at um, recovering God's will for our lives as the, as the church of the living God, particularly elders and, and deacons and, and, and just men in general. My encouragement to you before I go to break is that you would make it, um, make it to the conference. It's called Walking to Win. You can go to Valley Bible Church's website to find it, get more information on it. I'll talk a bit more about it somewhere throughout um <clears throat> Today's discourse going to be a great time. Great, great time on that. All right. I guess I better say it before I go to break. The least watched Super Bowl in history took place yesterday uh, between uh, the New England Patriots and uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, It was a forgettable game on some levels, and it was a predictable game on other levels. Guess if you just are one of those sports buffs and you wanted to get it off your chest, you can give me a call. Um, I kind of saw it going the way that it did. I didn't see any kind of um, major uh, lopsided win on the part of the Patriots, and I certainly didn't discount the Los Angeles Rams, but they were predictable. They hadn't been into a Super Bowl for so long. They were like a a deer in the headlights, if you know, just kind of panicked and frozen. And uh, New England had their way with them. They have broken records again. New England has broken records. Tom Brady uh, has broken records. And I would ask the question, really, why is Tom Brady so disliked, so, so, um, so hated or so, so just uh, dissed, almost LeBron like, if you if you will. And maybe that's the connection. These guys are winners. They win a lot. And every time you turn around, it's about them. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe people are fatigued in their thoughts and fatigued in the media of sports around Tom Brady and LeBron. Maybe that's it. I'm pretty sure that probably is it because you really can't hate a brother for winning, can you? (laughs) After all, we're talking about walking to win on March 8th and 9th. And uh, you want to win, don't you? I certainly want to win. Well, there are four lines wide open, one 367 when I come back from the break, I'm going to start talking to you a little bit about the importance 
of the way in which the social justice issue movement is starting to actually create some real havoc in the church and why we need to be careful to draw the lines very clearly and understand the terms and phrases and all of that that are trying to, uh, if you will, wash you into a battle for which you are either not prepared, ready, or even called to. So we're going to talk about uh, the social justice issue uh, on this Monday edition of Lifeline and other things. If you want to bring it to the table, one 367 I'll be right back. All right, the time, 524 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got three lines open, one 367 I'd love to hear from you, receive your questions or comments or observations or an issue you may be uh, challenged with, want to put on the air and uh, have discussed. Let's get to talking. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I said before the break that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the social justice issue. I don't know whether or not the audience that I'm speaking to right now here in California is aware of the deep, deep, deep um, and incrementally but pervasive nature of the social justice issue uh, agenda uh, permeating virtually every aspect of political life. Uh, major segments of uh, social, uh, social and poli- uh, social and um, cultural uh, aspects of life as well. Not only around the world, but here in this nation, prominently as well as in uh, in Europe. Uh, from from a philosophical standpoint and from a tactical or methodological standpoint, the social justice issues that are taking place today are in my mind just slightly different than the ones that were taking place in the days of Martin Luther King. The framework was the same, largely social justice, that is seeking equality and equity for poor people, uh, disenfranchised people, um, uh, abused people, um, uh, minority people in context in which the only way for them to have any kind of voice, face or uh, a fair, uh, if you will, um, a, a sense of existence is kind of a human rights issue uh, was for there to be a, a, a strategic and committed process on the part of people gathering together and voicing their protests against injustices everywhere. Now, that basic definition of injustice should not be a problem with any of us. The desire to want to see uh, inequity and, and evils assuaged and people who are marginalized or people who are disenfranchised or people who are um, impacted disproportionately by what what goes on in a culture or a society where financially and institutionally and um, and structurally uh, there's no way for for those people to um, to live a fair and, uh, and and just life without application. That there should be no problem with that on the part of any professing believer. I mean, Micah six eight says it. We are we are we're those who should know that we are to love mercy, do justice, and uh, and walk humbly with the Lord our God. The problem with that proposition is where it has gone now over the last twenty years and exponentially over the last ten years, with some really, really, uh, in my opinion, specious underlying philosophical, uh, uh, um, if you will, uh, uh, principles and tenets that drive the whole social justice 
issue, the worldview behind which most of our present day postmodern social justice issues people are operating out of is what I'm calling the fundamental Trojan horse uh, in this new battleground that we have to be careful about, that we won't be able to get away from, that is already encircling us as human beings and the people of God particularly. Uh, if you will, in the proverbial language of Revelation chapter 20, and the enemy has encompassed the saints about uh, on a rhetorical level, at least, if not, you know, on a more uh, politically punitive level. I, I know that's the case in in, in, in colleges and uh, educational fields where people, if you, if you hold to a biblical worldview, you're going to pay for it, particularly if you speak out against things like, you know, what they call cisgendering, and that is you affirming the, the gender of a man or a woman according to their biological uh, factors, the reality of who they are biologically, uh, the multi-spanned gender identity uh, group uh, have uh, have also entered into this, the fray and battle of uh, social justice issues, making themselves minorities, making themselves the marginal, making themselves the abused, making themselves people who now need to either fight back or be fought for or um, have a right to the table to begin the process of deconstruction. Now, years ago, I talked about the fundamentals of a Marxist socialist paradigm, uh, the fundamentals of a uh, of a a creeping into our present, uh, if you will, um, Western democratic uh, process of, of, of free governance based upon a representative republic with a, a fundamentally uh, modernist view of how things exist epistemologically. That is, we have a worldview that there was a God who created all things and that we really can know who that God is if we read the Bible. And for the most part, the experiment of uh, some 300 years now, a little bit more with Europe being uh, the forerunner of America, that there has been a, a what we would call a Judeo-Christian uh, framework of governance and ideas, a, a, a biblical worldview that's not so oppressive that it didn't allow for deist or it didn't allow for um, uh, uh, marginal groups, and as time has has really emerged, your uh, atheists and your agnostics have been comfortably operating in the framework of our constitutional rights of freedom of speech and freedom to assemble, and uh, uh, you know uh, the other freedoms in a and bill of rights that we have by which we can begin to explore, talk about, dialogue, even debate. Um, what we believe truth is and how it should be expressed in a cultural context. But the reality is that the social justice issues that we are dealing with today, ladies and gentlemen, for a believer, for a Christian, a Bible based Christian, you really do need to know whether or not some of the issues that are taking place um, and coming your way uh, and may impact you from an identity marker. I'm going to share with you some of the identity points. I've got about 10 of them. Uh, These are are triggers. They use the term triggers by which you are normally aware of uh, what the particular issue is people are talking about. Uh, And so let me just read some of these to let you know, and I'm sure you have heard of them, identity politics, identity politics. Here's another one. Gender classification. I, we talk about that frequently here. Gender classification. That's a that's a major uh, push now. 
the class warfare. I'm now giving you the overall framework and underlying uh, principles of a lot of these groups that are that are, uh, you know, as it were, becoming politically um, excited and politically triggered and politically aggressive. The class warfare of Marxist critical thought, race theories, cultural uh, Marxism is prominent today, uh, where it basically takes the framework of your burgiosis and your proletariats, your your rich, wealthy uh, power brokers over against the common people and frame it uh, in a way that says the rich are wrong and the poor are right. Uh, it's not as simple as that, but it ends up being that way in the particular rhetoric that you are hearing in our culture. The rich are wrong and the poor are right. The rich are wicked and the poor are righteous. Uh, if you're not careful, that's what you end up sucking up to. Uh, again, the, uh, the 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 critical race theory where we are presently uh, experiencing a very strong uh, universal assault against, you know, the Caucasian, the European, the white race, if you will call it that. Uh, and, and, and arguments against white privilege and, and observations about white fragility, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those concepts, in my opinion, uh, are valid in a number of ways, but they are abused and, den- and they are uh, distorted and, and, and sometimes they are uh, denied. And we need to be able to have a conversation around these things without getting lost. And so I've talked about identity politics, gender classification, class warfare of a Marxist critical thought, white privilege. Recently in our evangelical church, our neo-Calvinistic and reformed evangelical church, it's a major battle around the woke church. That that aspect of the church that are largely millennials with some Gen X's aroused to world injustices. We can talk about that, how that is a dangerous Trojan horse uh, component that leads you away from the gospel. The equality, inequality issue, equality across the board, where um, the terms are being used now called intersectionality, by which there is this massive, growing, almost uh, unending uh, grid of division among people being categorized in, in all of these different party groups. And once you are categorized in these groups, it goes back to identity politics, then you are told that you are oppressed simply because you fit this category. And then I'm going to talk about that. Now, here are the other two, and then I'll come. I'll take a break and come back. Two lines are open as we talk about how to actually decode, interpret the Trojan horse of what I consider a very diabolical social justice issue, uh, aggression. The other one is anti-hierarchical structural opposition. We've been talking about this one for years, a false egalitarianism that destroys the distinction between male and female on a biblical level and and destroying the roles and categories that God has set up by which we glorify him in a complementarian way. Well, that whole egalitarian argument is now poured out into the streets of the public arena. Uh, and its ultimate objective is a destruction of any distinction of uh, of classes or distinction of genders. Just flatline everything. Here's the last one. It's called virtue signaling. Uh, virtue signaling. This is what occurs with shallow people when they get involved in movements and they really don't take the time to think the movements through very carefully. But they can learn the terms and they can learn the quips and they can get involved in social media and they can pretend like they are really engaged when in fact of the matter they they're not engaged at all. They just toss about the terms because one of the big things is going on in media, if you know it, 
is you can get on the Internet and you can get on YouTube and you can get on Facebook and you can get on uh, Instagram and you can say something like the Me Too movements and, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of that. All of those venues are necessary. They are free market uh, components for discourse and uh, freedom of expression. I'm, I'm all for it. But uh, you got to be careful, got to be careful that these things don't drive you away from what God has really called you to as a child of the living God. If you've been impacted by some of these things that I'm talking about, give me a call. One triple eight three six seven five three two. And I'd love to hear how this battle is shaping you, impacting you, troubling you, or exciting you. Why you feel like you should be on board with some of these things, and, and maybe you can justify or not justify whether or not this is truly a gospel issue. I'd love to talk about that for the next hour and a half. That would be a great dialogue because I know it would contribute to the ears, contribute to the ears that are listening who really don't know what all of the fuss is all about. We're going to continue talking about it because that fuss is very important, is very important. If not to do but one thing that the Marxist, socialist, communist agenda wants to do, and that is to keep everybody in a broken, divided, hostile, aggressive mode against each other, because um, any kind of real substantial unity is a threat to the opposition. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I've got two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Looking forward to hearing from you. Gotta pay some bills. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back at the time, 540 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I was asking the question as we were dealing with uh, at least broaching the subject of social justice issues. And how can you tell when you come across someone, a believer, or a non-believer, and they have been triggered by one of the nine or ten things that I have classified as social justice issues, um, the uh, race issue, the uh, issue of, uh, of, of poverty or what would be called the minority a group identity politics issue, the gender issue, um, the woke church issue, uh, equality issues. A bigger one to be developed down the line is intersectionality issue where people are recognizing there's an opportunity now to jump on a bandwagon with five people and be made important around the world simply because you are a certain size, certain height, certain smell, certain color, hue of color, if you will. Uh, and this is what I would consider a hyper narcissistic tendency of of, uh, of of autonomy that really is a distinction without a difference. But intersectionality has been a way to continue to subdivide categories of people and make them so important that they become just, you know, uh, people on the blog, if you will, or on the uh, on the roster of opposition to your more traditional valued expressions of how we exist. Like, for instance, did you know there's an increasing departure on the part of people to no longer uh, fill out applications by expressing their gender as him, him and her or his and hers or she or he or male or female? Did you know that? And do you know what that does for an application and particularly those who have to read it? It creates a bit of a mess. 
Now, I'm sure in some communities what they're doing is trying to accommodate as many gender identities uh, specifications as possible. But I've already told you there are over minimally 72 at present and it's growing. So can you imagine an application on the one side, your normal formulation in terms of uh, date of birth and and uh, where you live and how long you live there and what are your skill sets, et cetera? You turn the page now. What is your gender? And the whole thing is full of gender categories and you you have to spike one and then i'm sure there's going to be other after 72 do you see the problem with that huge problem huge problem to come and this is in the world of uh of rhetoric rhetoric particularly terminology and terminology is the premise upon which we uh dialogue and, and communicate about what actually is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and everything that was made was made by the word and whatever was not made, the word did not make it. And so if we are actually uh, entertaining the idea that somehow we can define ourselves in mystical, non-credible, uh, non-empirical fashions, we are actually getting ready to enter into a a, a a massive, massive, uh, almost unbearable argument around terms and phrases, particularly new terms and new phrases that are going to be endless in their categorization. And uh, look at the implications that can fall out from that. I've got two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to Kelvin first in Belmont. Kelvin, are you there on line number one? Kelvin, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. How are you I'm doing, man? Here. I'm glad to you doing Pastor. I'm great. What's your thoughts today, man? Well, the, the, the thought about Tom Brady and LeBron, um, <laughs> you know, we, we grew up in a time where uh, Michael Jordan, I mean, when they played, they played, and now the rules have changed to the point where it's kind of hard to say, you know, you hate them because they're good. It's just the rules are so twisted to where, it's not the same. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask What's you. That? Let me ask you a question, Kelvin, because I, I I'm, I'm tickled that you called me about that part uh, it, because I, I I know we're talking about it among men and women. The rules changing, right? The rules have significantly yeah. changed in football and in basketball. I agree with you. So I don't even know if we can equate uh, the the years of the '70s and the '80s to where we are today. I really don't. I don't know if we can make that equation, but it does seem to me that people are hating on both LeBron as well as Tom Brady. And I didn't say because they were good. I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are. But I said that because they have been winners. Winners. Now, now make that distinction for me since you did take the time to call. Make the distinction between being good and being a winner because we can't take winning away from them. They've won. No, uh, no, no, no. Now, just in Tom Brady's situation, Tom Brady – the the, the uh, New England Patriots have been caught cheating. Yeah. So you, you, when you say winning, it's like okay, we expect like the when the Bible says, "Who cut in front of you?" Right. You know, <laughs> they, they, they've done some stuff that I can't consider them winners. Like Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was good, but then when you start adding into the mix, he was using um, steroids. Uh, right. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you were good, but you cheated. <laughs> and so did Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Okay, and, okay, but what about LeBron? 
Well, LeBron, LeBron hasn't cheated, but LeBron is the one who actually started this. <laughs> Let's make the team. He's the one that started that. Let's make the team. And I'm not hating on him because, you know, when you want to win, you look up with better. And so, you know what? I That part, I'm sorry. I have to agree with you totally. Um, about about marketing a team for winning championships. He started it. It was ugly when it started. He went on down to Miami. Right. I agree with you. And people are – the ball has been rolling ever since. Okay, so I'm going to just go ahead on and ask you, uh, is the NBA worth watching now that we recognize this kind of lopsided league that doesn't have the equilibrium that it did, man, back in the 70s and 80s? Well, well because we live in debate, we go, yeah, we'll <laughs> – we're winning. <laughs> but in reality, no, because we know the Warriors are on a whole nother level. Okay. Is that hard? I mean, go on, go on. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you another question. Go on. Well, the thing is, we, we watch the Warriors, and it's almost like, okay, you guys will play for three quarters, and then the Warriors will kick them to another gear. And it's just because that team is stacked. And, I agree. And, and now, staff. Steph, Clay, and Draymond came by by way of draft. Right. But KD, I mean, that, after he came, it was like, okay, this is a little unfair. But and, 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 and now we got Cousins, that 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 piece of uh, what I call nitroglycerin who can blow up any, any gym. Uh, he actually is a major asset for them. Right. I don't even watch the game till the fourth period now because, you know, they can all take naps and then come fourth period, crank it out and, and pull out a win uh, almost nonchalantly. Uh, right. Uh, but 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 think about this with me. I, I, I think I'm going to make this one a little bit more of a sociological uh, exercise. We I, we all live in a world, Kelvin, where we are going through paradigm shifts. We're going through paradigm shifts. It's happening everywhere. It's even happening in the church. And so I ask the question, uh, if, if we accept this as a paradigm shift, we will see it happening a bit more in other uh, parts of the league where really good players will start gathering together with a few more. Right now, Anthony Davis is the big uh, brouhaha, right? Right. And they want to get him down to L.A. so uh, so the, so they can be a serious run between L.A. and the Warriors. Uh, uh, you know, and, and we know that has to hit a threshold and it has to pan itself out. I'm wondering if if ultimately, because this is a paradigm shift, that this is a um, ultimately a good thing or at least a necessary thing. Because you know what, Kelvin, to re- be honest with you, we really don't handle change very well. Right. And see, the reality is the, this is the free market, brother. And what the what the players did starting um, uh, earlier than LeBron, what the players began to do was leverage their star-studded ability and their uh, sponsorship and, and do something different than Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippins and them did, you know, which towed the towed banner for the, for the Bulls, you know, for six, seven, eight, ten years. They, the, 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 the players now, it's the players' game. And what the players are doing is leveraging their power and, and, and brokering skills and, and changing the dynamics of the game. And you can't really blame them because uh, it's a free market and it's about as much money as they can get. I don't, Pastor Jesse, I don't blame them, but then there comes a point of time where you look and go, hey, guys, I mean, is this really good for the league? And that's, they, they don't even look at that. Like you said, Anthony Davis has the nerve to say, I'm not going to Boston. 
Right. And it's like, wait, 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 hold it. We grew up in a time when they traded you. You didn't. You didn't even have a say. But see, but see, you know, but see, but hold on. But see, now you heard. My, did you hear my opening monologue, Kelvin? I did. I'm talking about social justice issues, and I hope you at least right. I'm I'm hoping that you're at least on the fringes of understanding some of this uh, necessary but diabolical uh, 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 rhetoric that's going on in, in the world. Social justice issues are all about breaking down old structures, all about knocking right. down the man, all about changing the, the, the power leveraging uh, norm and shifting it to the people. So for the social justice people, this is exactly what what they want to take the power out of the coaches, take the power out of the uh, GMs and give it to the players. Now I'm just asking since we are operating on a, on a, a free market principle basis, how can we call that good or bad? Uh, and it not simply be what it is as part of the uh, process of transformation. It is. It's just a part of the transformation. I just, I know as a sports fan, uh-huh. and even with criminal justice, cause I work in juvenile hall. Awesome. And you, and you see some of this stuff and you go, you guys understand this is a business for you. Right. You're using people yeah. to run your business. And the sad part is you're using people of color. Yeah. That's, and so you're using people. It's almost like slavery. It is slavery. Yeah, and, I would, I w- I would know, love... I would love to actually um, talk about that with you on the other side of the break if you wanted to hang out for a minute so we can move this more closer to a biblical context. Uh, i got to take a hard break, um, and I'd just like to get one more point. Would you like? Okay, all right. Well, then, I'm going to feed my Ooh, hey, listen. Happy anniversary to you. Congratulations, my brother. Talk to you um, as soon as we can. All right. God bless. Look, Eddie, you hold on. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll holler at Eddie and Novato, see if we can move closer to our topic. I've got three lines open. one 888 Three lines open. one 888 Even though I do agree with Kelvin a little bit about what's going on in sports, but that's probably because I'm old. <laughs> I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we've, we're back. We've got about six minutes in this segment. Let me see. Let me talk to Eddie in Nevada. Um, Eddie, thank you for your patience, my brother. What is your question, observation, or comments today? Okay, I'm going to first off uh, mention how grateful I was how you dealt with our brother Leonard last week when he got all walled up and and kind of kind of <laughs> kind of confused about what you were saying. And I, I was just so grateful how you invited him back to the dialogue. You kept cool. And uh, and I, we just got to pray for Leonard. I, I also recognize that the division in the church is is part of the diabolical comparison to the division in our belief with the culture. I agree. Um, uh, with Calvin on the line, I, I was just observing that that game. I didn't even watch it, but I could tell by the score uh-huh. that it was all about defense, and that is boring for a spectator. Yeah, but not for and, me. I love I love okay. defensive games. Well, it's, it's so quiet, but, but the defense that I'm talking about is, is knowing your word. You've Amen. got to get in and dig in and, and read that word, and it's going to get boring unless the Spirit brings life to it, and you will have victories holding your ground uh, with occasional um, people that throw touchdowns to win 
for him. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the Eddie. I appreciate the analogy because the guys that are listening, my teammates, and I have a number of brothers listening, and they are welcome to call and chime in on the analogy as well as we pick up on the uh, social justice issue that I'm calling a fundamentally Trojan horse agenda that is basically doing exactly what you're saying in terms of the church and the lack of discernment that the church has on a larger level. Not all churches, but certainly some of our larger, more tactically um, uh, slow churches don't operate out of the defense mechanism that they need to ward off the assault on t- in terms of the opponents. As you were stating, that defense is boring, but defense is the fundamental key to any kind of advancement. Uh, I don't care what sport it is. The game really is not played at the execution level. Uh, strategically without a good defensive team. The reason why Brady and them won was because their defense was absolutely stunning and stifling Mm. and the subtlety of it all and carrying it over to the gospel. Paul said, I stand in confirmation. This is Philippians chapter one. Paul said, I stand in both confirmation and defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Defense is the Greek term apologia uh, or apologetics from which we give an answer for the hope of the calling that's in us with uh, meekness and fear. But local, uh, but today believers are not uh, well equipped to deal with particular issues. Uh, you, You heard my opening monologue, right? Uh, yes, I did on the uh, the ten points. Yeah. Now, had you ever heard uh, any of those points? Had you, you ever? Know, I was gonna I was gonna mention that we're reading the same stuff. Okay. Because intersectionality is a big, 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 big word. Yeah. Where where everybody that has a, a bone to pick with anything virtuous from their view can call any aspect of any human condition and 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 call people on where they're stepping a line and taking care of another human being it's very kind of it's 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 hypocritical to the max while putting them in god's position um i agree no you 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 didn't you didn't frame it the way that it could be framed but this is this is the outcome the takeaway and you can take this and run with it you're right if you're not careful about how the social justice issue is uh advancing you will be advocating men taking the place of God, determining who's right and wrong, and punishing people accordingly, and it never ever reaches mercy, redemption, salvation, forgiveness, and grace. This is a total neo-legalistic, self-righteous paradigm that has nothing to do with the gospel framework. I totally agree with you on that. And then and then and then you you said identity a bunch, and this is my main my main focus in this culture we live in, is Everybody's having an identity crisis. Yep. I'm not. Yep. You're not, because we know Jesus Christ is our identity. Right. And so, so in Ecclesiastes stance, there's nothing new. Yep. This identity crisis is human history. Yep. And I believe God's not shocked by this this plan. He's just gonna He's just gonna harvest out of this like nobody's business. I agree. And 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 we have to wait, but we have to know the culture. I don't want to engage in the minutia of each particular detail of each particular issue because I have to see through that or I'll get in a fight. I can, I, and then, I, I, and, no, go ahead go on. Ahead. What were you saying? 
Oh, well, I'm going to get in a fight, and then I'm going to get hot, and then I'm going to get prejudiced, and then I'm going to shut down. Well, you I'm know what? I love this person. <laughs> you know what? I love the fact that you know your limits. Uh, somebody call and confirm, Eddie, Eddie, now I really appreciate this because what you are, there are two or three points that I must take away from what you said and, and, and use them as, as springboards for our callers. The number is one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. First of all, brother Eddie is actually awake enough in the biblical sense of knowing that these battles are out there. Brother Eddie is also aware, not just awake, but aware of the terminology relevant to all of these different intersectional uh, expressions trying to make their way into and influence and overwhelm people who are not prepared to wage a successful war against them. But also, Brother Eddie is aware of his own limitations relative to if we get caught up in any kind of smaller squad that really doesn't take into account the main objective for which we as believers are here, and that is to be able to share the gospel in a way that brings men and women to the reality that their identity really should be in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is my biggest pet peeve. I'll be honest with you. The idea that somehow we set Jesus aside and make our own identity the center of discourse and conversation is almost blasphemous, but that's where we see the weakness in the church. As you said, by analogy, the lack of defense on the part of the church has allowed the church now to dance to the tune of the world and try to cater to the world instead of simply ministering to the world the solution to their ills. I appreciate the fact that you know your limitations. Well, I'm grateful to have you, and I'm going to keep listening, and uh, we'll see if I uh, 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 walk the walk as as the talk. You and because, me. Uh, you and me both, every bro. Every day. Every you, day. You and me both. But, Amen. Love him. Love him. All right. Bless it. Bless it. Bless you now. You and me both. You and I both. um, Yeah, the lines are wide open. one 367 They are wide open. I'm going to advance down through my article here that I wrote earlier this morning. Early in the morning, I decided to get into what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to lay these out because what I get a chance to do on this program is really kind of talk about ideas that you may not have even frequented. Eddie did. I don't know how many more of you have uh, really looked at the uh, the ubiquitous nature of this battle uh, and how it's it's dealing with your kids in the womb. If it can, it's dealing with your young ones, certainly impacting your teens uh, and young adults who are not rooted and grounded in biblical truth and clear on who they are with a biblical worldview to be able to um, wall their hearts and minds. Uh, build a defense against the error and falsehood of uh, accusations coming from the secular system, uh, they'll get you. So I'm wondering whether or not you have been impacted by uh, what I call the social justice issues of our present time, the Trojan horse of the new battleground for, um, for, for, for the thoughts uh, of mankind, for the hearts of mankind. And we talked about uh, identity politics and gender classification and class warfare and white privilege and white fragility and the woke church and, and equality and uh, intersectionality and anti-hierarchical structural opposition and, and virtue signaling and 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 there are a number of more that if you look at uh, terminology and images and symbols 
carefully where you go, you will see them popping up in the media, popping up on billboards, popping up on little quip phrases and sayings. Wherever you go, you will hear them in the mouths of your friends and loved ones. When you begin to hear this new terminology, I would say uh, uh, another one of the horsemen coming out of the iron horse of the Trojan horse. If that individual doesn't have a solid biblical basis, a gospel-centered basis, a Christ-exalting basis, a God-glorifying basis, and a God-glorifying solution to the ills of our world. I would say that that individual has gotten bitten by the bug. He's triggered, and he's part of the dialectical process. one 367 5329 All the lines are open. one 367 5329 I'd love to hear from you. Uh, help me finish up this next hour. I will take a break. We'll pay some bills, and I'll see you on the other side. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 